0: Welcome to the Hill City Church podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. All right. Good morning. My name is Royce. I'm one of the elders here at Hill City. Uh, one quick announcement: If you are new here, the best way to get connected and learn about us is uh, something called Hill City 101. If you're interested in that, please stop by the connections table and they will get you uh, hooked up with that or you can sign up online. So today we are continuing our series in the book of Colossians. If you've been with us for the last couple months, we've been in Colossians and Colossians is a letter from Paul to this group of new believers in this small town of Colossae. And for the last two weeks, we've been really specifically looking at chapter three, and in chapter 3, Paul starts to talk to this group of new believers about their identity. A couple weeks ago, we looked at this verse, or these verses in Colossians 3, 2, and 3. It says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what what does that even mean? Daniel talked about this a little bit last week. He says that they have this new identity or this new self. And this new self, this new identity is not an earthly identity. It's this deeper, truer identity. It's their spiritual identity. And he makes this clear in verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. The new self is to be full of Christ. Christ is all and in all. And in the rest of chapter 3, he kind of fleshes out what that might look like. What does it look like to be full of Christ? And in verses 5 through 10, he talks about these old self ways that need to be put to death. And then in verses 12 through 17, he talks about these new self ways that need to come alive. And so we're kind of taking these one by one every week. And this week, we're going to talk about old self pride and new self humility. So how do we put to death that old self pride and come alive to this new self humility? And a lot of things come to mind when, when we hear pride and we hear humility, so I just want to define these terms for us today, how we're going to be using them today. So pride. When you hear pride, I want you to think of self-focus. Eyes on me. What do I want? What do I need? That, that is what we're going to think of as pride, the self-focus, eyes on me, and we'll define humility as self-forgetfulness. Eyes off of me. Eyes on God and seeing that God is the one who truly knows what I need. And as I learn that and understand that, I get to forget about myself. I don't have to worry about myself anymore. So here's the problem. So old self-pride, new self-humility, these are two things that are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So how do we get from here pride to here humility? And that's what we're going to look at today. What might that look like to take the journey from pride to humility? And as we take that journey, first we're going to start over here with pride and what we'll call the madness of pride. So a couple weeks ago, one of my friends, someone someone I work with, introduced me to these kid-shaming memes. Have you guys seen this? Um, So I do not endorse kid-shaming, but these memes are hilarious. So I looked, I, I saw like two or three, and then we just like dove into the rabbit hole of like the internet full of kid shaming memes and it was like hours later and then we were finally done. So anyway, if you have kids, especially if you have toddlers, if you have kids like two through five, you know exactly what these memes are talking about because sometimes these young kids, they don't get what they want and they go crazy. They, they literally go nuts. And so we'll look at a few of these today. So here's this first one. So this guy has lost his mind, you can see. It says he has a cereal bar in his left hand, but he really wants the cereal bar in his right hand. And, and I'm sure there is a loving parent on the other side of this camera that is t- telling him, all you got to do is, is take it from that hand and put it in the other. But he can't hear it because he's already past the point of no return. He's lost his mind, and all he sees is that that cereal bar is not where he wants it to be, and it's not Okay. And so that's this guy. We have a couple more here. So it says, the goat ate the goat food from his hand. So basically, exactly what was supposed to happen, happened. And then he loses his mind. And if you're a parent, you know this is exactly the way it is. Like, I had food in my hand and the goat ate it. Yes, exactly. No! You know, he just loses his mind. And then this last one is probably my favorite. Very simple. I wouldn't let him look the doormat. It's like, buddy, the doormat, licking the doormat is not good for you. What are you talking about? I'm going to lose my mind. Um, So these kids, what I love about these kids is they are going crazy, and they don't care who knows about it. Their emotions are out for the world to see. They actually want everyone to know that this is not okay. So as I've thought about this, I'm like, what is going on here? What is going on in these, these little kids' hearts and minds that they just go nuts? Um, and I think it's actually pretty simple. They want something, and they don't get it. And that drives them crazy. They, they go mad. They want something, they don't get it, and that is not okay. And it's made me think and reflect, and I would invite you to do the same. What happens when I don't get what I want? Or what happens when you don't get what you want? How do you react when you don't get what you want. Thankfully, most of us have moved beyond the screaming and crying phase of our lives. If it does happen, that's okay. Sometimes, you know, you just got to have a good cry and scream about it. But I would say most of the time, we're really good at hiding it, actually. And that we're just screaming and crying on the inside instead of for the world to see. So let me give you a couple examples from my own life. So every now and then, I actually like to help around the house. It doesn't happen as often as it should, but every now and then I decide, you know, I'm gonna clean the garage or I'm I'm gonna do the dishes tonight. I I need to do some more help around the house. And that is a good thing. It is good to help around the house. Um, But then I start to make it all about me. And I'm actually not doing these things because I want to help, I'm doing these things because I want to be noticed and I want to be appreciated. and when that doesn't happen, when I'm not being noticed and I'm not being appreciated, I start to go a little crazy inside, and I start to start to go mad, or at work. So I work in a clinic and I see patients, and I like to be on time, and that is a good thing. It's good to respect people's time, it's good to be efficient, it's good to be on time. But what happens when someone needs a little extra time? Or when, one of them, when I need the help of a coworker and they're busy? it can eat away at me, it can drive me crazy, and I start to go mad. And so this is not good. This is not good for me. This madness is not, not a good thing because what's happening is I'm making it all about me and it is killing me inside. It's eating away at me inside. And I think the reason is because that's not the way it's meant to be. That is not who we are meant to be. So like I said before, this new self way of life is to be full of Christ, to have our eyes completely on Him and what He wants for us. And as we do that, we can let go of what I want and realize that what He wants is better. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so that sounds really simple, and it is really simple, but it's also really, really hard. And the reason is because pride is relentless. It is always knocking at our door. There's always this part of ourselves that says, "You know what? I should be able to do what I want." Or maybe even I deserve to get what I want." And on the surface, it's like, "Yeah, that seems right. I, I think that's actually right. But then Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And as I've thought about this, it it reminds me a little bit of salt water. You know, salt water looks like the real thing. It looks like it's actually water. But the more I drink, the thirstier I get. And actually, slowly but surely, it's killing me. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He says, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. He's like, it is madness. So what can we do? How do we escape this madness? How do we get from the madness of pride over here to the freedom of humility? So thankfully, Paul has experienced this. He's like, I've been there. I've done that. I know the madness of pride. Let me tell you about it. And he does in Titus 3, 3. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days, wasting our days away in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He's like, I get it. That's a madness. I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced it. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, saves us. So how do we get from pride? How do we kill pride and come alive to humility? Well, the short answer is we can't. We must have the powerful, humble love of Jesus to carry us into this new way of life. What we really need is to know the love of Jesus. And that's what Paul says in a letter to the Ephesians. He says, you know what you really need? What you really need is to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with, With all the fullness of God. So, we talked earlier, our new identity is to be full of Christ, to be filled with the fullness. So, how do we get there? We have to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. All we have to do is know something that surpasses knowledge. So, that's easy, right? Just know the unknowable. Well, that's what we're gonna try to do today. At least we're gonna try to get to know, start the process, start to get to know the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at the life of a man named Simon Peter and how Jesus loved him and how Jesus loved him out of the madness of pride and into the freedom of humility. And as we go on this journey, we're going to learn about this powerful, humble love of Jesus. And we're going to see four truths about the love of Jesus. We're going to see that the love of Jesus sees who we are becoming, it is patient, it never gives up, and it frees us from the madness. The love of Jesus sees who we are becoming, it is patient, it never gives up, and it frees us from the madness. If there is a disciple who struggled with pride, it is Simon Peter. If someone is going to be the first to speak up, the first to offer his opinion, it's Peter. Because he thinks, I know, I know better. You don't need to listen to these other guys, because I know. If there's someone that's going to defend himself, it's going to be Simon Peter, because he's like, I'm always right. I'm never wrong, so just ask me. And when Jesus is arrested, if someone is going to come up and fight this, it's going to be Simon Peter, because that's not what he wants, and it drives him crazy to not get what he wants. So we're going to pick up the story of Jesus and Simon Peter in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them a question. And the question is, who do you say that I am? And of course, who answers? He asks the question to all the disciples. Simon Peter, ready with an answer. In verse 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here we see the first truth about the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus sees who you are becoming. What does Jesus do here? He answers Peter and he, and he gives him a new name. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son, son of John, son of Jonah. You know what? But actually, here's what I tell you I tell you, you are Peter. And he gives him this new name because when Jesus looks at Simon, he doesn't see the prideful son of John, he sees who he is. Becoming. He sees the new self, Peter, the rock on which he is going to build his church. And the same is true for us. When Jesus looks at us, he sees who we are becoming, he sees clearly and perfectly to our new self. So, about 500 years ago, a man named Michelangelo sculpted uh, this sculpture of David. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's one of the most famous sculptures in the world is the sculpture of David. And it was so incredible. People were so impressed by this sculpture that everyone was asking Michelangelo, how did you do it? Like, this is is amazing. How did you do it? And so this is what Michelangelo is believed to have said. I looked inside the marble and just took away the bits that weren't David." So what he did is is when he looked at the marble, what he actually saw was David. And he just took away everything else so he could get to David. And that is how Jesus sees us. He sees through the sin, he sees through our pride to who we are becoming. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, This is by no means a naive, romanticized approach. Rather, it is brutally realistic. I see all your flaws, imperfections, weaknesses, dependencies, but underneath them all, I see growing the person God wants you to be. And that's how Jesus saw Peter. Just a few verses down in Matthew 16, the story goes on, and Jesus tells the disciples basically what his mission is on earth. He says, I must suffer I must die, and in three days I will rise again. So he, talk, he talks about this mission. And right after he says this, somebody speaks up. And of course, who is it? It's Peter. Uh, so in verse 22, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what is happening here? What is happening here is Jesus is seeing straight to Peter's heart, and believe it or not, he is patiently, lovingly correcting him. So that's the second truth we see about the love of Jesus. We see that the love of Jesus is patient. And you might say, did we just read the same verse? Because he just called Peter Satan. And, and that seems a little harsh. That doesn't seem super patient. But what I would say is what, what Jesus is actually doing here is he is distinguishing Peter's actions from his identity. What he's saying is, you know what, Peter, this is not you. This is, this is the old self talking right now. And again, this is the patient, loving correction of Jesus. It reminds me of Paul. Paul kind of works out this idea of his identity not matching up with his actions in Romans chapter 7. And this this is what Paul says. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So no, no, it's it's no longer I who do it. It's not that real me, my, my new self who does it, but the sin that dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I, the real me, I have this desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And finally he says, man, for I, the real me, my new self, I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members and my actions another law waging war. So this conflict between the true self, the new self, and our actions, that's exactly what Jesus sees happening in Peter. And Jesus is patient because Jesus knows exactly what is going on. He knows that Peter becoming all Peter is meant to be is a process. It takes time, and he's patient with him. So a few weeks ago, I got home from work, and it was one of those, just one of those days. It was not a good day. I was in a funk, just kind of feeling heavy. I was exhausted from the day. So all I wanted to do was get home, get the kids to bed, sit on the couch, and relax. So that's exactly what I did. Get home, get the kids to bed, sit down on the couch with my wife, and just like, I could finally relax. And no sooner do I sit down than my son, my nine-year-old, opens his door. He looks me straight in the eye, and he says, Daddy, I can't sleep. And I'm like, oh, OK, fine, all right. Um, and so I did what any good dad would do. And I just point at his room and I say, try again. <laughs> I'm like, just come on, buddy, just try again. And so he's like, OK. So he, he, he hangs his head, and he walks back in his room and, and goes back to bed. So I'm like, whew, all right, job done. So then I look over at my wife, and she's, she's not as impressed as I am. Uh, <laughs> She looks at me and she's like, really? That, that's the best you got right now? Try again? I'm like, okay, fine. Maybe, maybe that wasn't wasn't my best best move. So I get up, I go in his room, I tuck him in, I pray for him, and I say, Good night, buddy. And what I see, I, I see my son, and he takes this big, deep, just this sigh of relief, and I see peace just float over him. And as as I leave his room, It's like the same thing happened for me. I'm finally able to take like an actual deep, just a sigh of relief, and this peace starts to wash over me. And here's the thing. If not for my wife, the patient, loving correction of my wife, I would have missed out on that. Missed out on this great moment with my son, honestly a great moment for myself, but thankfully my wife saw that my actions were not lining up with my identity. She's like, that's not you. That's not who you want to be. Go back in. Try again. You try again. <laughs> that's not you. And, and, uh, and thankfully, she called me out on it. And, and that's exactly what Jesus does for Peter. He says, Peter, this is not you. This is not who you're meant to be. And the more I think about this, I think, man, it must have been so great to be with Jesus. How wonderful would it be just to walk with Jesus, just spend time with Jesus? Henry Nouwen uh, talks about what it's like to just be around a patient person like Jesus. He says, it is not difficult to recognize people who are patient. In their presence, something very deep happens to us. We feel how much we are loved, accepted, and cared for. The many things, both large and small, that filled us, with anxiety, suddenly seem to lose their power over us. And we recognize that all we really longed for is being realized in this one moment of compassion. That's Jesus, and that's what we need. We just need to experience the patient love of Jesus. Well, much like myself, when I'm corrected, Peter is a bit of a slow learner. And so the road to humility for him is full of ups and downs. So we find him a little further down the road with Jesus in Mark 14. In Mark 14, and we'll pick it up in verse 27, what's happening is Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he meets with his disciples, and he has a warning for them. In verse 27, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. So who is going to disagree with this? Well, you guessed it, it's Peter. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus answers, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter answers emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Peter makes this bold statement, and after this statement, Jesus is arrested it's like the heat is getting turned up a little bit on the disciples. Because once Jesus is arrested, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be killed. And so if you are associated with Jesus, that is not a safe place to be. If you're associated with, with Jesus, that's actually a dangerous place to be. And so what does Peter do? Peter denies Jesus three times. This is exactly like he said. And then in verse 72, it says, Peter remembered... And he broke down and wept. And I just try to imagine how Peter must have felt right in this situation. It says he broke down and wept. It's like, man, I failed again. And this weeping, it might be that good, healthy weeping of, oh, man, my actions aren't matching up with my identity and Jesus sees who I'm becoming, all right, I just need to live into that. But I don't know. I wonder if this might be that weeping of shame. And that Peter might start to be thinking, might start to believe, you know what, I'm never going to become that person Jesus sees in me. It's just never going to happen. So after he denies Jesus and and he has this moment of weeping, we really don't see much of Peter until John 21. So we're going to pick up the story in John 21. And and where we are here is, so yes, Peter has denied him, he's wept, and now Jesus has suffered, he's died, and after three days, he rose again. And we catch up with a bunch of disciples who are hanging out, and Peter decides, you know what, let's go fishing. I want to go fishing. And this might have been an innocent fishing trip. There's nothing wrong with fishing. But here's the deal. Peter is not a fisherman anymore. Simon Barjona, yeah, he was a fisherman. But Peter, he's not a fisherman anymore. He's Peter. He's the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on. And it seems to me, it appears that Peter might be giving up on who he was becoming. And this brings us to the third truth about the love of Jesus. Well, Peter might be giving up. The love of Jesus never gives up. While they're out fishing, Jesus shows up, and Jesus has a question, and I love when Jesus asks the question, because he actually, he always knows the answer, but he asks it anyway. He says, children, do you have any fish? And they say, no, of course they don't. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, and he fills their nets with fish. This is one of those really cool parts of the Bible where it tells us there were 153 fish. Someone sat there and counted the fish. Jesus filled their nets with 153 fish, and then he invites them to breakfast. And after they eat breakfast, he pulls Peter aside to talk with him. And he has one question for Peter, and I believe this question is the heart of the gospel. And he asks the same question three times. He says, Peter, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this question is packed with meaning. I wish we had more time just to talk about this question. But it's basically Jesus' way of saying, Peter, I know. I know you failed me. I know you failed. I know you denied me three times. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. And we see it in verse 17 it says Jesus said to him a third time Simon son of John do you love me. And it says Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him a third time do you love me. And Peter said to Jesus Lord you know everything. You know that I love you. And I think it's interesting that after this third time it says Peter was grieved. And this word for grieved means that the words of Jesus cut down deep. It finally pierced him, like to that heart-gut region. It cut him deep, and he was grieved. And the way I see this, it's like something finally clicks for Peter. Like, he really loves me. And you know what? I do love him. I really love him. I can let go of this. I can let go of this madness, and I can trust him. I can do this. And what's happening for Peter is he's starting to live into his identity, into this new self. And what's happening for Peter right here is the invitation for us. As we start to understand, as we start to know this love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge, we can live into who we are meant to be. And so the question for Jesus is the question for us. He's asking us, do you love me? Because he knows that when we start to love and trust him, when we start to love and trust Jesus, we are set free from the madness. So that's, that's what we'll see. The last thing we'll see is that the love of Jesus frees us to walk in humility. So we'll continue in John 21. After Peter is cut to the core and he starts to understand the love of Jesus, Jesus has one last thing he wants to say to him. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but now things are different. Now you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Two things I want us to see about this, uh, what, what Jesus tells Peter here. The first thing is Jesus is not asking Peter to do something that Jesus has not already done himself. His whole life, his whole time, on earth, he has been stretching out his hands and going wherever the Father tells him to go. Every act of love is an act of obedience. And he is lovingly obedient to his Father all the way to death when he stretches out his hands. And the second thing is Jesus is not asking Peter to do this alone, he's not saying, All right, Peter, get dressed, let's go. He says, no, actually, it's not your job to dress yourself. I will dress you, and I will carry you. What is impossible for us to put to death these ways and come alive and walk in this freedom, what's impossible for us is possible with him. Because here's the thing, the power of the love of Jesus is that it sets us free from the madness of the old self. It sets us free from the madness of the walk-wherever-I-want self to live in the freedom over here of the new self where he carries us. So what does this look like? What what would this look like for us? So first, I want to give us a picture of what this might look like and then get a little bit practical about what this might look like. And you'll have to bear with me because the picture is actually a dog. A dog okay? There's a book, The Call of the Wild, and it's about this dog named Buck. And Buck, he, his early life is spent as a pet, and he actually lives in luxury. And this dog, Buck, there's just something inside of him that's like, man, I'm meant for more than this. Something's missing. Something's not right. And so through a series of events, Buck ends up living in the wild, and he becomes a sled dog, and he starts to discover who he was actually meant to be. And we see it in this this quote from The Call of the Wild. It it talks about Buck, and it says, he was mastered by the sheer surging of life, the tidal wave of being, the perfect joy of each separate muscle, joint, and sinew, in that it was everything that was not death, that it was a glow and rampant, expressing itself in movement, flying exultantly under the stars. Then he goes on and says, this ecstasy comes when one is most alive, and it comes as a complete forgetfulness that one is alive. This ecstasy comes when one is most alive, and it comes as a complete forgetfulness that one is alive. That's what it looks like to walk in this freedom. We're no longer weighed down by pride, no longer weighed down by, man, I want what I want. I want. That's a pressure, and it's a weight that we don't have to carry. Yeah. And we're free to live the way we were always meant to live. So at home, I can clean the garage, I can do the dishes, and I can do it for the sheer joy of serving my family, and I don't have to have this need to be noticed, this need to be appreciated. It's a weight I don't have to carry. I can do it for the sheer joy of it. At work, if there's a patient that needs a little extra time, I can take a little extra time to really understand what's going on, really be able to help them, because it's okay. I don't have to go crazy. I don't have to be weighed down by what I think I want. So this freedom, this ability to be present in the moment. Henry Nouwen describes what this might look like. And this is a longer quote, so I'm just kind of going to kind of break it down for us as we go. He says, it involves the constant choice not to run from the present. We can just be. We don't have to think about what just happened. We don't have to think what's about to happen. We can be free to be. He says, it involves the determination to listen carefully to people and events so as to discern the movements of the Spirit. We don't have to approach people and events with what we want. If it's not lining up with what we want, it doesn't have to drive us crazy, but we can listen. We can approach people and events with curiosity and say, man, what's God going up? What what is God up to here? What's he doing? What, What are the movements of the Spirit? And it involves the decision to set aside time every day to be alone with God and listen to the Spirit. It realizes that the most important thing is not figuring out what I want, but it's figuring out what He wants. So the the best way I can spend my time is to sit with Him, to spend time with Him. The more we know the love of Jesus, the more we are set free from the madness, and free to walk in humility. And it took time for Peter, but Peter learned this lesson. It was a process, but Peter learned this lesson over time. The love of Jesus saw who he was becoming. The love of Jesus was patient with him as he struggled. The love of Jesus never gave up on him, and the love of Jesus ultimately freed him to walk in humility, freed him to actually live out this new self. And and what's great is we actually get to see it. We can read the book of Acts and it's right there for us. It's a different Peter. We get to see Peter lead the early church. We get to see Peter be the rock that Jesus builds his church on. And of course, it's not perfect. You know, he still has his ups and downs, but we get to see him walk in this light of the humble life. And Peter, later in life, he writes a letter. And in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, this is what he says. He says, humble yourselves. It's almost like he's speaking from experience. (laughs) He, He says, man, I've been there. I've experienced the madness. Can I just save you some heartache? Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the powerful love of God casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So how do we do it? How do we walk in this new self-humility? How do we humble ourselves? We got to take the journey. We got to do what Peter did. You know, we got to spend some time with Jesus and slowly but surely come to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Knowledge. We have to come to know that he cares for you. Let's pray.